where you'll hear truly scary stories that you cannot get out of your head. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence or explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. What was up with Nathan tonight? I asked my wife Mary as we peeled off our jackets and unloaded the leftovers our best friends had sent us home with after their dinner party that night. What do you mean? Mary asked, as she tried unsuccessfully to make a space in the refrigerator for the Tupperware that was about to fall free from our other hand, before she just jammed it into the most reasonable space and closed the door. I don't think I saw him all night. I had to use the back bathroom because Dennis was using the one in the front, and on the way back there, I noticed Nathan in the spare room, staring out of the window. Two hours later, I realized I'd left my phone in the bathroom, so I went back to get it, and he was still there. He'd been sitting there, staring for over two hours, so I went up to him and asked him what was wrong, but he just stared and mumbled something about not being able to move without looking at me, I said, and shivered a little, remembering the empty look on the teen boy's face earlier that night. He looked kind of sweaty and clammy, like maybe he's on drugs or something, and the weirdest part was... I think he was crying. Not like openly crying, but there were tear streaks on his face. God, he's such a weird kid, Mary responded and shivered. Remember when he wore those Nightmare Before Christmas pajamas for a year and a half straight? Don't get me wrong, Rebecca is my best friend in the world, and I think that everything she does is perfect, but there is something just off about that boy. She and Dennis are saints, if you ask me. Yeah, he's weird, but this was sort of, I don't know, spooky, I said struggling for the words to describe how I felt when I noticed the despondent teen locked into what seemed like a staring contest with nothing. You know how kids are, she reasoned as she poured herself a glass of wine for a nightcap and then gestured to me to ask if I wanted one too, to which I nodded affirmatively yes. I'm sure he's just waiting for his crush to show up and was heartbroken when they didn't. Didn't you ever do anything like that when you were younger and had the energy to give to your teen obsessions? I thought back to the time when I played guitar outside of Lindsay Peterson's window for four hours until her neighbor came home and threatened to call the cops if I didn't cut that hippie shit out. (laughs) I was 15 and deeply in love and had been absolutely devastated when she dumped me out of nowhere and then rumors had started swirling that she had a crush on my best friend Daryl. She and Daryl had started dating a week later, had gotten married right after college and were married to this day. Oh my god, you're right, I said, shaking off the thick feeling of teenage heartbreak and wrapping my arms around my wife. It's weird how you forget how intensely you experience heartbreak at that age. If I ever dump you, you'd better watch obsessively out of the window for my return, she said, and poked my ribs playfully. I'm talking sailor's wife waiting for a dead husband to return, level devastation. I grabbed her playfully and joked, If you ever dump me, I'll be so devastated, I'll embark on the most emo display of grief the world's ever seen. She squealed as I tickled her midsection and then slapped my hands away. You fucking better, she said with a smile that I knew meant that only death could separate us. And I returned the smile to confirm that she was stuck with me for life. Also, I think we're too old to say emo, she joked, trying to get in the last word. I tickled her even harder, and she squealed even louder and playfully ran into the living room to evade further tickling. The next day was a Saturday, and I didn't feel great due to my slight dinner party hangover, 
but I pushed through so that Mary and I could spend the day looking at new kitchen cabinets for the old house we'd purchased three years before, and had been slowly remodeling as we had the money to do so. Mary's wealthy and childless uncle had recently passed away, and left us a surprisingly large inheritance considering we barely knew him, and that had bumped the expensive kitchen remodel up to the top of our list. After a full afternoon of comparing finishes and various speeds with which hinges closed to create the least violent contact between the door and the cabinet, we treated ourselves to greasy burgers because I still wasn't feeling that great, and then headed home with plans to binge a TV series and head to bed early. Once we got home, Mary started fluffing pillows and retrieving blankets to make our TV viewing extra decadent, and shouted over a shoulder at me, Oh, honey, do you mind taking out the trash while I do this? I just passed it and it's starting to stink. No problem at all, my queen, I quipped and headed through the living room toward the kitchen. As I passed the enormous picture window that had been one of the big selling points of the home when we'd purchased it, something in my periphery caught my eye. I paused, took two steps back, and peered out of the window and into the dim evening light of our neighborhood. Once my eye landed on what had distracted me, I was surprised I'd noticed it at all, because it appeared to be a woman standing stock still and staring at our house from about a block and a half away. I could barely make out her face. She was wearing what appeared to be a long jacket and boots, and there was nothing remarkable about her other than the fact that she seemed to be fixated on our house. I stared for a couple of seconds longer, then decided I'd check on her as I took out the trash to see if she was lost or, or maybe looking for someone she thought lived in our house. I collected the very ripe bag of trash from the kitchen and headed out to deposit it in the bin outside of the house. Once the bag was securely confined to the trash bin, I turned to confront the woman. But she was gone. The sky had grown even darker as the last sliver of sun had set, but not dark enough for me to clearly see that the place that she had been standing in the road was empty, save for a few leaves skittering towards the neighbor's lawn. I shrugged and headed inside, content that the woman had gotten her bearings and figured out that my house didn't contain whoever or whatever she had been looking for. Once I was back inside, I climbed under the laughably high pile of blankets that Mary had assembled and snuggled up to my favorite person for a night of mindless entertainment. The next day was a typical Sunday, full of long, lazy cups of coffee and the slow completion of chores. I spent some time catching up on a bit of work so the week ahead wouldn't be a total nightmare, then internally scolded myself for letting work leak into my weekend, then moved on with my day before I dived into an existential crisis about the evils of capitalism. Instead, I fired up the grill, which had been sitting dormant all winter, and shivered while I grilled some barbecue chicken in the still cold, late winter air. As we ate our dinner, I realized that I still hadn't been feeling well all day, and announced to Mary that I thought I might be coming down with something. Mary scolded me for not wearing a jacket while I barbecued the chicken, and then sweetly suggested that we should start TV time earlier than usual, so I could get some extra rest before work the next day. Then she gathered the pillows and blankets while I rinsed the barbecue sauce and salad remnants from the plates. On my way to the couch, I paused to draw the curtains shut, because I knew the early evening sun would cast a glare directly onto the TV, and my heart skipped a beat when I looked through the window and noticed that the woman from the night before was back. She was standing perfectly still, again, staring straight at the house. But this time she was several feet closer to the house than she'd been the day before, her arms were also slightly bent, and her fingers on both hands were curled in a way that reminded me of the gesture that children make when they're trying to imitate a cat or monster. 
but she was motionless and expressionless otherwise. What on earth? I whispered to myself and immediately reached for my jacket to head outside and check on her. I'll be right back, honey, I shouted as I headed toward the door. What you doing? she asked, half distracted by the shows scrolling on the television. But I didn't answer. I burst through the door like a man on a mission, but slowed my pace slightly as I hit the lawn, not entirely sure why I was confronting this seemingly harmless woman. I heard my therapist's voice in my head encouraging me to approach the situation with curiosity, and by the time I'd rounded the corner, I had a half-smile on my face and a helpful gait to my walk. But she was gone. I continued through the gate in our low fence to see if I could spot her nearby and engage her in a conversation about why she was suddenly so interested in our house every evening, but she was nowhere to be found. I listened for the receding footsteps or any sign of a middle-aged woman alone in the night, but all I could hear was the soft wind through the trees and the low hum of our neighbors as they chatted over dinner next door. I spun around in one more slow circle and when it was clear that I was very much alone on my street, I headed back inside. "'What were you doing?' Mary called as I stepped through the door. "'It's the strangest thing,' I responded as I kicked off my shoes and found my place on the couch next to her. "'This lady has been standing outside of our house and... and staring at it for two nights in a row. Both times I've gone outside to see if she's okay, and she's gone.' "'A lady?' Mary asked and cocked her head inquisitively. What does she look like? The Dimler's mother moved in with them recently and I think she had Alzheimer's. Maybe it was her? Maybe, I agreed and shook my head. Although she doesn't look old enough to be the Dimler's mother, but but what do I know? (laughs) She seems totally harmless, but it's just weird. We both shrugged in unison and Mary joked. Well, I'm glad to know that you're here to protect me from middle-aged women with strange fixations on mediocre colonial architecture. I shoved her playfully and quoted my favorite Noah Baumbach movie. What do you mean? This place is the filet of the neighborhood. We both laughed and then turned our attention to the HBO series Mary had queued up for us to watch while I was out hunting for strange ladies in our suburban neighborhood. Monday was a totally unremarkable work day, and while I would never say I hate my job as a data analyst for a regional hospital group, it's not exactly what I had in mind when I'd taken online computer coding courses to supplement my long-abandoned dream of becoming a rock star. (laughs) I'd met Mary at one of my band's shows, so it wasn't all for nothing, but it's amazing how quickly a person's life can drift into the soft mediocrity that worked so hard to avoid in their youth. My boss was out that afternoon. So I sneaked out a little early because whatever illness I was fighting was getting worse and I picked up my favorite sandwich for a lazy Monday dinner while Mary was at a monthly book club meeting. By the time I got home, the cold or flu or whatever it was had rounded the corner and I was feeling significantly worse. So I ate a quarter of the sandwich and laid down in front of the TV to convalesce. I dozed while the afternoon turned into evening and then into night and drifted in and out of sleep as primetime network television filled my living room with laugh tracks of sitcoms that had been running for far too many years, and the exaggerated cadence of medical dramas that had run even longer. After a few hours, I woke up with a ferocious thirst that forced me off of the couch and into the kitchen, where I steadied myself with one hand while I drank directly from the faucet. My limbs felt spongy and incapable of holding my weight for very long, So, once my thirst was sufficiently quenched, I started my wobbly trek back to the sofa for some more television-dappled rest. 
as I teetered past the picture window, I glanced outside to try to gauge what time it was and almost fell over from the shock of what I saw. The woman was back, and this time she was in my yard. She had scaled the short fence between my house and my neighbors and was in her usual frozen position. Her elbows were bent even further so that her forearms were raised up near her chin and her hands were claw-like and snarling at the ends of her wrists. Her face was partially concealed by her long, dark hair, but her eyes were dark and shining and her mouth looked like it was in the process of forming a hateful smile. What the fuck? I whispered to myself and swiped at my face in a cartoonish attempt to wipe her from my vision. When I opened my eyes, she was what appeared to be one step closer to the house and her elbows were bent ever so slightly closer to her face. Oh hell no, I said and used what remained of my strength to push away from the window and out the front door to confront the trespasser. I had to steady myself in the doorway for a couple of seconds and was shocked at how sick I'd gotten and so quickly. I contemplated returning to the couch and just calling the police, but answering questions and filing an official report sounded so much more exhausting than having words with a strange older lady, and so I pressed on. I walked around the house with as much authority as I could muster, but once again, when I rounded the corner and looked to the spot where the lady had been, she was gone. It was pitch black outside by that point, but the streetlights and the light from the neighborhood were bright enough that it was very clear that my yard and all the yards surrounding my yard were completely empty. Just like the two nights before, I could hear the faint sounds of televisions in the surrounding houses and a small child crying somewhere off in the distance, but it was otherwise a perfectly still night in my excessively safe neighborhood. What the fuck is going on? I mumbled and started to turn in a precarious circle to see if I could spot the woman or a car accelerating into the distance or anything that could explain why this bizarre woman had returned to stare at my house three nights in a row. As I teetered round and round in my yard, my wife pulled into the driveway and killed the engine of her car. Hey honey, I heard a call before she was even out of the car. What you doing? She came back, I shouted hoarsely. She was just here. Who came back? She asked as she closed the distance between the car and where I was pinwheeling unsteadily. Just as Mary reached me, I realized I was dangerously close to passing out and that all of the strength had drained from my body during my patrol of my small yard. I grasped the shoulder the moment she was close enough and moaned slightly as I swayed and tried to steady myself. Oh my god, Lee, are you okay? She pressed into my side and took on most of my weight with her body as my head swam and my vision darkened for a moment. I took a few deep breaths and was able to regain my composure enough to explain. The lady that had been watching our house for the last two nights came back and she was in our yard just now. Mary pressed her hand to my forehead and gasped, Jesus Lee, you're burning up. Let's get you back inside right now. I I need to give you some Tylenol or something to break this fever. You were barely sick this morning. Her words ran out in a long string as she tried to comprehend what was happening and why I was suddenly on my deathbed when I'd been more or less fine when I'd seen her 12 hours ago. Yeah, I I think I caught the flu, I said pathetically and started to allow Mary to lead me back inside. After a couple of steps, I stiffened as I realized that I still hadn't gotten to the bottom of why the woman had come back and the urgency of keeping her out of our yard and away from our house temporarily overcame the need for Tylenol and more sleep. But the lady, I cried, and took a couple of very shaky steps back in the direction I'd just been standing. Oh, no, Mary protested and grabbed my arm to pull me back toward the house. 
Honey, there is no lady. You've probably got 104 temperature. You're completely delirious. I'm honestly surprised you didn't see dragons in the dining room in this state. Let's get you in bed, keep you hydrated, and you'll feel much better in the morning. I promise I'll keep weird women away from the house in the meantime. Mary did have a point. I had been sleeping for hours and felt like I'd been run over by a truck and was verging on completely incoherent. I slumped over and nodded weakly. You're right, I conceded. You're always right, and that's why I love you. She smiled lovingly and brought me in the house and upstairs to our bed where I collapsed in a feverish heap and immediately fell asleep. Mary had to wake me a couple of minutes later to give me some medicine and force me to drink a few gulps of Pedialyte so I wouldn't dehydrate from the sweat that was pouring from my pores. I slept all night and into the morning. I heard Mary calling into work for me at one point, and at another point she nudged me awake to let me know that she'd left some toast on the side table and forced me to take some more medicine and Pedialyte. She pressed her hand to my forehead, and her furrowed brow communicated to me that my fever hadn't broken overnight. She forced a reassuring smile on her face when she realized I was watching her and promised me I'd feel better later if I just rested all day. I nodded and whispered that I loved her before I drifted involuntarily back into a deep and dreamless sleep. I slept all morning and into the afternoon. My fever got so bad that I woke up a few times to throw the covers off and then had to drag them back on when the chill set in again. I could tell time was passing by the sliver of light coming in through the curtains on the far window, but it didn't mean much to me in my exhausted state. I felt awful, and it seemed to get worse every time I opened my eyes, so I welcomed the sweet relief of sleep, but even that was feverish and fraught with aches and waves of discomfort. Eventually the sliver of sun was shooting straight through the room and making a spot near the ceiling on the far wall, so I knew it was nearing the time when Mary got home from work and the sun would be setting in a couple of hours. Sure enough, Mary appeared at my bedside soon after and looked very concerned as she surveyed my uneaten toast still on the bedside table and the dampness of my sheets and duvet. She stripped off the duvet and top sheet and I shivered in the middle of the bed while she tracked down a replacement for both. She swiped my head with a cool washcloth, which offered a temporary sensation of relief, but the cool reprieve was immediately replaced by the merciless heat and discomfort that had been consuming me all day. Mary lifted my head and forced me to take a few sips of something cold and sweet, and I heard her on the phone with our doctor a couple of seconds later, who seemed to be reassuring her that something nasty was indeed circulating in our town and that I would feel better in the next 24 to 48 hours. He really looks like he's on his deathbed, I heard her assert at one point, but then her soft murmurs of acceptance followed soon after and I fell back to sleep, comforted by the thought that I wouldn't have to endure the sickness for too much longer. I woke up a couple of more times, tracking the path of light as it made its way up and onto the ceiling and then eventually disappeared altogether, and the room filled with the dark of night as the sounds of Mary's dinner preparation and television wafted up from the living room below. Once again, a deep thirst eventually woke me up enough that I was able to pull myself slightly upright and take a few deep drinks from the water bottle Mary had positioned next to the bed. The cold liquid felt incredible as I sucked in deeper and deeper gulps, and I relished in the pleasure of the moment, willing myself to stay awake and enjoy it for as long as I could. I took the last, long drink from the plastic sports straw, and as I was replacing the bottle on the nightstand with a very shaky hand... I heard a blood-curdling scream come from downstairs, followed by the sound of Mary openly sobbing. 
Adrenaline shot through my body and gave me the strength to pull myself out from between my soaked sheets and plant my feet on the floor. My head was swimming from drowsiness and fever, but fear propelled me up and onto unsteady feet that I used to rush downstairs to find my wife. Mary was in the living room, doubled over on the floor and wailing with an anguish that I'd never seen come out of her before, not even close. Using one hand to steady myself on every piece of furniture between the stairs and my wife, I made it to her side, knelt down next to her and placed a sweaty hand on her shaking back. Honey, I croaked, and she jumped from my touch and then immediately pushed herself into my arms. Honey, what's wrong? I asked and wrapped my arms around her the best I could. As she sobbed in my arms, the room suddenly came into focus, and I tuned into the words coming out of the newscaster's mouth on the screen. Once again, we're reporting live from the gruesome crime scene where officials found the dismembered bodies of the Nielsen family earlier today. The family was reported missing after Dennis and Rebecca failed to show up for work for two days, and their son Nathan was reported absent from school. Police did report that there were signs of a break-in and haven't released any suspects in the murders of the family members, but we'll keep reporting on the incident as we have more information. The reporter continued on, but my hearing started to dim as the gravity of what she was saying hit me and the realization that my wife's best friend and her husband and son had been brutally murdered sometime between our dinner party Friday night and this afternoon. Tentacles of deep sadness and grief started to creep in as I held my devastated wife and dug deep for the strength to comfort her properly through my illness. I held her as tightly as I could and murmured comforting words and sounds while her body shuddered against mine. I was in the middle of muttering something about how everything would be okay when I knew full well this was very fucking far from being okay when my ears pricked up and I was suddenly aware of a sharp and high-pitched sound coming from across the room. My body tensed and I strained to hone in on the origin of the sound and within seconds I was flooded with icy fear as I was acutely aware that I was hearing the sound of something very sharp making contact with something made of glass. Two seconds later, I confirmed that the sound was specifically coming from the giant picture window that Mary had covered with the curtains before she'd settled in to watch TV, and I pushed my wife aside as gently as I could and sprang to my feet as I realized that I'd made a horrible, horrible mistake. What the fuck, Lee? Mary shouted and swiped at her eyes. I made it to the window in three bounds, grasped the curtains as I heard the distinct creak of sharpness meeting glass and pulled the curtains back to reveal the exact thing that I feared I would find. On the other side of the wide window was the lady, smiling a frozen smile, her hands hooked into claws in front of her face, and her long, sharp nails had pierced the glass by a centimeter or two. Her eyes locked mine, as if she knew exactly where I'd be positioned when I opened the curtains, and while she didn't move an inch, Her eyes communicated a merciless glee that filled every centimeter of my ravaged body with a thick and all-consuming dread. Fuck! 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 I screamed as I slumped into the bench positioned in front of the window without breaking the woman's gaze. Fuck! I screamed once more in an attempt to release the horrible feeling of regret and the realization that I was too late to change the course of my fate. Our fate. Jesus Christ, Lee, what is wrong with you? Mary called as she ran to my side and positioned herself over my shoulder to look at the window. I'm so sorry, Mary, I whimpered. I'm too late. And as the words left my lips, the grief washed over me and hot tears began to leak from the corners of my eyes. 
Too late for what? She asked and cupped her hands to better see out of the window. Um, the fucking woman who's about to break into our house? I shouted, exasperated. I'm too late to stop her. Lee, what the fuck are you talking about? Mary asked and stared at me, deeply concerned and clearly angry. I continued to stare into the awful, burning eyes of the woman as I gestured toward her desperately. This woman! The woman right in front of my face, for fuck's sake! I slammed my hand against the glass and immediately recoiled in terror that I'd broken the glass and made our situation worse. Luckily, the glass held, but I could have sworn I saw the woman's eyes shine even brighter as I made the violent gesture. Oh my god, Lee, there's no one out there. Mary peered into the darkness over the woman's head, straining to see what I was seeing. My best friend is dead, and you're over here on some fucked up neighborhood watch. I know you're not feeling well, but my god, Lee, something must be seriously wrong with you. Jesus, Mary, I'm staring into the eyes of something resembling a woman that has been stalking us for days, and I don't know what to do. If I look away, I think she's going to kill us, like she killed Rebecca and Dennis and Nathan. Oh my god, Lee, Mary said and backed away a couple of steps. Oh Jesus, you're really sick. I couldn't turn to look at Mary for fear that the woman would break through the glass the moment I did. But I could sense the terror and confusion as she processed what was happening and tried to prioritize her best friend's death with her husband's illness, delusions and hallucinations. She rushed to find her phone and I heard her frantically explaining to someone that there was something seriously wrong with me. I mean, could he have an infection in his brain? She sobbed, and I could feel her becoming completely overwhelmed, even from across the room. Once you've been with someone long enough, you can sense their every feeling, no matter where they are. I could feel Mary through walls, from across town, and even when we were miles away, I could always sense a shift in her mood, no matter where we were in physical proximity to each other, and it was one of those unexplained things that made me love her more and confirmed for me in a gentle and unspoken way that soulmates were real and she was mine. And in this moment, my soulmate was in more pain than she'd ever been in her life, and it was suddenly my burden to save her from so, so much more. Okay, okay, thank you. Yes, I'll bring him in. Thanks again. Okay, bye. She hung up her phone frantically and rushed over to where I continued to stare into the endless hell of the woman's eyes. I've got to take you to the hospital, she said, and started to pull on my arm. The doctor said that you're probably just hallucinating from the fever, but it could be encephalitis, so they want to run some tests to rule out that... Fuck. Fuck. Fuck! All of her frustration and rage came flooding out as the words poured out of her mouth with escalating fury. And it seemed to help a bit, because she was a little more calm and focused when she spoke again. I'm going to get your jacket, and then we have to go. I'm not going anywhere, I said with my voice just above a whisper. What? Jesus, Lee, I don't need this right now. I'll be right back, and then we're going. Mary stormed upstairs to find my jacket, and I started to openly weep. I was all but completely crippled with exhaustion. And, try as I might to be strong and brave to save myself and my incredible wife, it was clear that this was a battle that I was not likely to win. A desperate, aching sadness ushered in images of my life and my wife and all of the things that I had lived and loved during my years on the earth. And I allowed myself to float away with them for a moment, before being ripped back into the present by the reflection of my doomed face glowing back at me in the eyes of my executioner.
was written by Courtney Eck and narrated by Benjamin Chandler. For more scary stories that you cannot get out of your head, please join our Patreon at patreon slash please leave pod. Please follow Please Leave on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at please leave pod. Our email is please leave pod at gmail.com and our website is please This has been a Two Penguins Media Production. Quack. <laughs>